welcome to episode 241 of The Digital Life, a show about our insights into the future of design and technology. I'm your host, John Follett, and with me is founder and co-host, Dirk Niemeyer. Greetings, listeners. For our podcast this week, we're going to talk a little bit about policy and emerging technology, in particular about cyberspace, international law, and cyber warfare. And the impetus for this particular episode was a article on the World Economic Forum uh, website entitled, Why We Urgently Need a Digital Geneva Convention, which I thought was a provocative um, title and which which may or may not be uh, may or may not be true policy wise but I think it, it it's a nice jumping off point for us today Dirk so more than 30 governments have acknowledged that they have offensive cyber capabilities according to this article and I think over the past year, We've talked an awful lot about uh, the different aspects of cyber war that have just become part of our uh, sort of day-to-day -day existence uh, in our digital lives. So uh, one of the examples played a really significant part in our recent elections in the United States uh, in, in 2016, of course, and that is sort of the use of... Uh, information uh, warfare and hacking uh, and fake news uh, to drive propaganda and to to uh, more or less create an environment where uh, certain messages that may or may not be true are getting a lot of attention uh, and thereby sowing confusion and uh, potentially influencing elections so that's one aspect of cyber uh, war Another one that we've talked about uh, extensively on the show is uh, uh, the malware that can do things like upend uh, the electric grid, for instance. So there are, there are uh, pieces of malware now that uh, can infect, uh, say, the uh, security and and the uh, the IT systems of a power plant, uh, and there's been an example, at least one example of that happening uh, in the Ukraine and causing all sorts of havoc uh, and blackouts. And then uh, the third aspect uh, of cyber warfare that's uh, typically acknowledged is just the use of uh, software for spying on people and that that's related to uh, the things that our own NSA does. It's related to the uh, exposure of uh, information to other countries. It's related to hacking and, and of course, uh, the whole Edward Snowden ongoing drama. So those are those are sort of the three pieces of uh, cyber warfare and it's right now uh, sort of an ongoing concern, but conducted, you know, underneath the covers, right? The, it's not very clear who the attackers are. It's not very clear what their aims are uh, all the time. And yet at the, at the same time, it's, it's sort of a day-to-day -day thing that's going on at a low level. And uh, for that reason, this, this author, uh, one of the policy 
uh, writers from from Microsoft uh, was interested in in instigating this conversation, which is, do we really need some international laws, some international framework that that would govern uh, the the policy around cyber warfare, much like the Geneva Conventions, uh, you know, sort of dictate the the terms of war uh, in the physical space. Dirk, when you saw this article, what what were the what were the things that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, thinking about the issue, the the thing that makes it so difficult is the plausible deniability. Is that no matter what the rules are, you know, can you prove? Can you? illustrate that a particular company a particular country or a particular entity is guilty of something and it's it's not very straightforward even though the technology exists to do that it becomes a he said she said sort of territory um, at least at the most sophisticated levels you know with with conventional warfare if you know we fire a missile off at some other country the the you know satellites and the technology for tracking projectiles are going to see where that missile started. They're going to see where that missile landed. And it's concrete. It's something that is physical, understandable, and explainable. And the challenge with cyber is is just this issue of plausible deniability, that it is far more difficult to get everybody on the same page and agreeing as to you know what happened where and and how um so it's important and having having rules and framework in place would be great um but you need people to follow them i mean i think there's rules and frameworks in place about um you know sending drone bombs in to sovereign nations but it doesn't stop us from doing it um, right in the united states so you know the rules need to be enforced and at least in other you know other malignant uh, combat scenarios, you know, we in our country don't follow the rules. Um, so I think it's it's nettlesome in in a lot of different ways. Yeah, and and to your point, there there are international laws that govern chemical warfare. Uh, I think those came into being after World War One, uh, where there was an awful lot of suffering <laughs> caused by chemical weapons, yeah. and the world said, "Yeah, we're not." <laughs> We're not interested in, in repeating that. So uh, at the same time, uh, as you pointed out, there's plausible deniability. You know, we see that uh, in in the scenario over in Syria, for instance, uh, where it's it's uh, the 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 trail of proof is is hard to piece together uh, when it when it comes to chemical weapons. You can imagine uh, how much more difficult that would be uh for for a cyber attack uh but but this does sort of raise the issue around emerging technologies and how we um you know manage and and make policies around items that are not visible in the physical world right so right now we're talking about uh digital systems uh very complicated there there are other emerging technologies uh for instance uh, our our own our own genomes right that are increasingly going to become um, uh, privy to to uh, other other people other actors and as technologies emerge that expose people to you know to other types of dangers right uh, it there's a question whether or not policy uh, and especially policy around warfare can kind of 
keep up with with emerging technologies i i think the answer sort of initially is well you know probably not but it's going to have to be a fast a fast follower um and we're I'm upgrade that to definitely not john yeah yeah no doubt so so i mean you can see the 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 policies around uh genomics and uh sort of the use of uh genomic tools like CRISPR, uh, you know, th those discussions are ongoing and, you know, clearly uh, people are, are trying to uh, keep pace with the technology, even if they're, they're not successful. I think we're, you know, in the 21st century, seeing these interlocking, very complicated systems um, where um, uh, small, smaller organizations and actors are capable of creating uh, massive damage using these uh, technological tools as, as leverage. So with each emerging technology that becomes, you know, increasingly powerful and, and gives us all sorts of leverage around uh, ourselves and our environment, we, we also have the possibility of those, those becoming attack surfaces and just uh, you know, the potential for mischief and warfare uh, seem to be increasing exponentially. Um, and that, you know, I don't know if that's something that we're just going to have to live with or if uh, the idea of international policies that can sort of um, govern uh, not only uh, nation states, but but also these smaller actors. You know whether whether that's whether that's possible or not. Um, but but we need something like that. I I just don't know what the outcomes will be. Yeah, I mean it, it's it's a great spotlight of how the old world, the world that preceded the digital age, is not compatible with the technologies that we have our grasp in the digital age. I mean, if you look at um, if you look at the makeup of the legislature, and I did a piece a few years ago that sort of deconstructed the legislative branch of the U.S. government, uh, the vast majority of the participants there are businessmen and women, um, lawyers. Um, the number of scientists was you know one percent, two percent. Number of engineers was one percent, two percent. But the issues that are being dealt with around emerging tech are issues that require the knowledge and insight and particular brand of thoughtfulness of a scientist or of an engineer, um, among others, certainly. Uh, but th those, those people aren't present. The people who are present in the decision-making process are people who don't have knowledge and insight into these complicated things. They can get it up to a certain point of depth. I'm sure there are some that really invest themselves and do more so. I think there's many others who are relying on staffs and sort of their good old common sense from the old days. Uh, and 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 they're the the very people who run the legislature are ill-equipped to deal with these issues, which is to say nothing of the fact that structurally the speed at which the legislature moves is agonizingly slow, and it is compromised by the you know the the sort of pork barrel um, uh, you know the whole Washington swamp thing of well I'm only going to pass your legislation if you throw this crap in it that I want to have happen. Um, so there's a lot that's horribly outdated about the very way that we make law and legislate issues that is going to really beguile us in, in the context of dealing with this rapidly changing smartware world. 
Yeah, and that's, you know, as you point out, that's our system here in the United States. So, you know, multiply that by, you know, however uh, many countries you like, and uh, all of a sudden you have a morass of uh, uh, sort of impossible policymaking. And, you know, I mean, further, you, you, you can see where uh, the international community has been able to come together uh, to make policies around a scenario like, you know, like global warming uh, with the Paris agreements. And, you know, that takes that takes many, many years to put together an agreement like that, which can, you know, sort of immediately uh, be undermined by uh, one country, you know, say our country withdrawing from that. So um, the 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 ability to govern on an international level and sort of deal with uh, problems around uh, emerging technologies, I th I think I think we're we are challenged in 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 a massive way right now, and it, it makes me makes me feel like there there are important roles to play for. Uh, folks who who understand technology and can you know design systems that um, uh, sort of make it easier for for people to interact with these technologies, you know whether that's coming from the policy side or from the design side, um, or even you know uh, from from the governmental side. Uh, I, th I I think there's there's a huge gap in our capabilities to deal uh, with with these technologies in a public fashion, starting with our conversations in the public sphere are usually, you know, of late have been pretty low brow. There isn't a lot of discussion around uh, uh, emerging tech, aside from, I, I suppose, cyber warfare has has been a hot topic of late, uh, but, but we're really uh, missing the mark uh, when, when, it, when it comes to uh, dealing with these in the public sphere as well. Yeah, and, and I really want to emphasize, I mean, I think it's at the, at the level of our society. Our society was designed from, from the legislature to uh, things like, you know, schedule and, and, and the rhythm of school and the content of school and, and, and so many other things were designed in a what was essentially a pre-industrial revolution world. And in the subsequent, uh, how long has it been, like 250 years, um, it has begun morphing to be appropriate for an industrial revolution world. I don't even think it's gotten there yet. And now we're moving into a world, you know, the digital world, the smartware world, and it's it's so far behind that as to be ridiculous. I mean, we need we need change that is not the slow evolutionary rumble that we've become accustomed to in, you know, human civilized history. We need something that is more severe. Uh, because the world, the, the the degree of change in in the context around our society and around our civilization is is, is massively different, and we need to change to to deal with it properly. But we we aren't, and I mean I don't think we will anytime soon. And it's going to lead to more more problems, more shenanigans. Um, it's unfortunate. So I'm going to encourage our listeners to check out that article on. Uh, the World Economic Forum um, website, why we urgently need a digital Geneva Convention. 
listeners, remember that while you're listening to the show, you can follow along with the things that we're mentioning here in real time. Just head over to thedigitallife.com. That's just one L in the digital life and go to the page for this episode. We've included links to pretty much everything mentioned by everybody. So it's a rich information resource to take advantage of while you're listening or afterward if you're trying to remember something that you liked. You can find The Digital Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, and Google Play. And if you want to follow us outside of the show, you can follow me on Twitter at John Follett. That's J-O-N-F-O-L-L-E-T-T. And of course, the whole show is brought to you by GoInvo, a studio designing the future of healthcare and emerging tech, which you can check out at GoInvo.com. That's G-O-I-N-V-O.com. Dirk? You can follow me on Twitter at DNemeyer. That's at D-K-N-E-M-E-Y-E-R. And thank you so much for listening. So that's it for episode 241 of The Digital Life. For Dirk Niemeyer, I'm John Follett, and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.